dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. If I were to take a poll, most of my listeners would say that they want inner peace, being aligned from the inside to the outside, from your motivations to your actions, is surely one of the great keys to success. St. Paul shows us a very special way to finding inner peace, and I'd like to share that with you today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you everybody for coming and for being so willing to take this audacious step forward into leadership. And I really underscore that word, audacious, because so many times we think of leadership as something you can just put on something you can do from the outside you know like okay well I'm going to a leadership seminar because I feel like somehow this is what I need to do you know like and you're like that's fine so then you like learn somebody's ideas of leadership and you decide to to put them into practice and if you're like the vast majority of people who come to leadership workshops then absolutely nothing happens until your next leadership workshop <laughs> It's almost like you realize deep down inside that leadership is something that you really can't just learn at a workshop and then improve upon by, you know, thinking about it. <laughs> leadership is something that you have to practice. It's an art. It's a way of being whereby you hone your inner authenticity by giving your authenticity the shine and the attractiveness that other people can actually follow. So it, it's like you start with your inside and you finish with their inside. Leadership goes from the inside to the inside. And so I've got to start with that, with that deep authenticity and get in touch with who I am deep down inside so that then I can, in as attractive and as easy a fashion as I can, attract other people to follow behind me. So this means that I can't fake leadership and neither can I just go to a workshop and say, okay, since I went to that workshop, now I'm going to be a better leader. I've got some notes I'm going to take home. I mean, everything is valuable. Everything is good. But I tell you this, you cannot lead unless you are the one doing it. Your leadership doesn't begin with a workshop. 
your leadership begins with character. It begins with conviction. It begins with identity. It begins with knowing who you are. And its second step is to accept who you are. And its third step is to employ who you are in everything that you do. So that in your fourth step, other people are set free to be who they are. That is starting with grasping who you are and putting who you are into everything that you do, aligning your identity, your character with your action, that is your mission. You allow all of the inner qualities and the inner strength and the inner dignity that you possess to shine out. And that gives the ability to other people to then reach deep inside and become the best version of themselves, to find out what they can really give because they're being led by an inner freedom that you yourself have given them. I know that the output is extremely important. I know that we have to like, you know, make whatchamacallits and take that objective and move the bridge down 50 feet down the river. I'm not saying that leadership doesn't consist in getting those things done. It does. It's just that its essence doesn't consist in getting those things done. If a robot can do the same thing and can lead in the same way or a computer program that individuals tap into to tell them what to do, this is not human leadership. What is the goal that you have as a leader? It's not just to make the corn grow or to get the kitchen cleaned or whatever else you're supposed to do. That's the occasion of leadership, but it's not what leadership consists in. The essence of leadership is this art whereby your perfection as a person, your improvement as a person, person goes to the perfection and the improvement of those who are around you. If you really want to lead, everything that you do has to have a goal that's bigger than what you are doing. The goal of leadership is to make leaders out of your followers. Reminds me of a soccer coach I knew one time who said, as a, as a coach, what I tell all my kids when they come in onto the team is they say, I want you to become a better player for the next coach. I thought that was a really neat way to put it. Or a boss could do the same thing. A boss could tell his employees, when you do leave me, I want you to be a better worker for the next guy. It's a, it's a mindset leadership. It, 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 it means that I'm using the circumstances of life and the things that you have to do and that I have to do for a deeper goal. I want to make you the best person you can be through whatever aspects of leadership I've been given. This is really what changes the world. If you want to change the world, yes, make corn grow, make financial transactions easier, whatever it is that you do, that's your what. But when you, if you really analyze it, it's when you put your why into your what so that other people can find through their what, their own why, that you've effectuated a change that's much deeper. And when we do that consciously and repeatedly, we use the circumstances of our lives for true impact. And that's when we become leaders. There, there's a poem that puts this very well. I, I like it. It's called Our Deepest Fear by Marianne Williamson. 
And it goes like this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. And then she goes on a little bit later. She says, your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. It's a, it's a really beautiful poem, I think, because it's expressing this deep idea that the purpose behind your leadership is bigger than you and it's bigger than the occasion of your leadership. And this is exactly what St. Paul shows us by his own leadership in the Acts of the Apostles. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. So let's dig right into the Acts of the Apostles where we see St. Paul demonstrating for us in so many different ways all of the same things that we go through as leaders in the world of business. As entrepreneurs, uh, again, or even in my family, I've got to face the same challenges that St. Paul had to face in the Acts of the Apostles. And that's why I love looking at his life because here you have an example in the Bible of how God forces a person to deploy every aspect of leadership that we have to engage, and even at the service of the gospel. I mean, look at everything that St. Paul goes through. It never says that God made it easy for St. Paul. It never says that God took St. Paul's problems away. It never said that God just suddenly filled in for St. Paul what St. Paul himself couldn't do or refused to do. No. St. Paul had to do the very same process that we have to do as entrepreneurs, as business professionals, as business owners, anytime we want to make a progress in this world. Just look, for example, uh, you've got the, the process of invention, right? So the other apostles, they do their things. Peter is in, is in Jerusalem. Peter's got, you know, the church is growing in Jerusalem. It looks like John is there and James is there. It mentions Philip being there. Philip's kind of running around places a little bit. He's, he's kind of a traveler a little bit. But now we know that the apostles will go to the ends of the earth, but none of them are detailed like St. Paul in how they go about it. The Holy Spirit wanted to make an example of the life and the methods of St. Paul for the church's mission. And so the Holy Spirit shows us one of the very first things St. Paul has to do is he has to break with Peter, not in terms of communion, but in terms of mission. Peter stays in Jerusalem with the other apostles, according to Acts, but, but Paul has to go by himself and figure out a way to preach to anyone who will hear him. And so he, has, he comes up with the methodology. He goes to the Jewish synagogues and he goes there Sunday after Sunday after Sunday until his preaching through the Jews reaches to the pagans and he brings in the pagans and the Jews. Now, what do you do at that time? 
do you make the pagans follow the, the code of Jewish living? Or do you allow the pagans to do their own thing? And then there's a split and there's controversy. And Paul finds himself right there. Paul doesn't back away. Paul doesn't say, I don't know. Paul doesn't. Paul has to find a way forward, knowing that, gosh, I have to trust in God for that way forward. No one else can answer this question for me. He could turn to Peter. He could turn to the other apostles. And he's stuck. How many times do we feel the same way? You're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this particular child in my family. You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this situation at work. Either we make the investment or we don't. Do we buy the new machine or don't we? Do we make the move now? How do I know whom to hire next? What position to fill? There's all these different questions that can be in our brains. And so each one of us, none of us can sit there and say, I therefore, since I don't know, we'll just sit here and wait. And neither did St. Paul. He moved forward and he moved forward doing the best that he could. And when you look at it, there's plenty of times where that method backfired on Paul. As a matter of fact, if you, there's a, almost a pattern that develops in Acts. When he goes into the synagogue, he makes converts that are both Jewish and Gentiles. Then the Jewish converts become jealous of the Gentiles and they run Paul out of town. And it happens again and again and again. You'd think almost like Paul has to invent a new way. And so sometimes he does. He uses anything that he can and every aspect that he can in order to move the ball down the field further. And he allows him his life to be extremely messy. I mean, our, so many of us won't even allow ourselves any kind of imperfection. We think that we are supposed to be the best parents of all time and, and the best leader of all time. And if anything goes contrary to us, we claim that as a proof, and those underneath us sometimes show it to us as a proof that we somehow are bad leaders. Guys, leadership is not a question of perfection. It's not a question of not making mistakes. It's a question of moving forward. It's like Rocky Balboa and Rocky Six. He says it this way, right? You mean nobody's going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward, that's how winning is done. I had to say that that's how leadership is done too. And it just amazes me that St. Paul does not have an easy life. His mission is full of messiness. I mean, you've got people attacking him from the, the rich people in town. Then you've got the rich women in town. Then you've got the, the, the sorcerers and magicians over on the side casting curses upon you. That must have been easy. Then you've got the politicians, the judges, the jailers. I mean, the only, sometimes it's like the only people that are in favor of St. Paul are the one or two whom he converts and the two or three companions that happen to be hanging around him. Well, that's not a big audience of approval. Then he goes back to Jerusalem where he has to fight the other apostles about what he's doing. It's almost like you can imagine being tempted to say, well, guys, why don't you come with me and I'll show you what I'm doing, right? But they don't come with him. Now they've got their own things. I get it. But at the same time, don't you think it's a little bit lonely for Paul? I bet it is. Do you ever feel lonely as you're out there trying to start a new business and your family says that it's not going to work and your, your spouse says that it's not going to work? Yeah, it's very lonely. 
And you say, doesn't anyone care? I mean, I'm trying to solve a problem for our society and it feels like nobody cares at all. And all the risk is on your shoulders. That's the life that St. Paul is showing you. He was not your normal priest. He was not your normal bishop. St. Paul's life was not walking around trying to help people to feel better about themselves. It was not floating around just tapping little kids on the head and, you know, petting people's dogs. St. Paul was innovating in a very hostile environment. How did he keep his peace? How did he keep his peace to the point of not quitting and keeping moving forward? You know, if, you, if winning is done by getting, taking the hits and moving forward, how did Paul do it? I mean, if you were to look at his life, you'd see a million reasons, a million excuses for him to not have inner peace. You'd almost imagine that maybe he would keep moving forward, but like you and I do. We keep moving forward, but we complain along the way. We, we whine and we cry about it. We try to leverage all of our pain for people's sympathies. I don't know. It's just a lot of lack of leadership happens because almost like we don't embrace the difficulty as if we were made for that purpose. But I think that that's the first step, everybody. If you were to say the reason I'm leading is because of the difficulty and not despite the difficulty, you've made the first step in authentic leadership. The difficulty that's in front of me is the reason why God sent me to this moment. Because I need to challenge that difficulty and I need to bring peace and prosperity through that challenge. This is why I'm a leader and this is why you'll follow. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. There's a famous Catholic spiritual writer today who named Jacques Philippe. And Father Jacques Philippe is a priest. He wrote a book called Finding Inner Peace. And in that book, he writes that this, the world today thinks that finding inner peace comes after you found external peace. A lot of us would naturally have this tendency. If I can buy my bass boat and my cottage somewhere in northern Minnesota, then I will find inner peace. And he says, that's just the opposite of God's plan. God's plan is not that you have peace and security on the outside and therefore you'll have peace and security on the inside. God's plan is the inverse. If you start with the inside, then no matter what happens on the outside, you're going to have the peace on the outside that you long for because you put peace on the inside. You start with God. You start with your identity in him. And then you take that identity into the challenge that's in front of you on the outside. And I, when I hear, when I read that, and I said to myself, this is exactly the same. This is the recipe for success for leadership. This is the recipe for success. In other words, the challenges of the changing economy or of, of employees uh, shifting around or of ideas that fail or a venture capital that's running out. 
right? Or your seed money, your angel investors that somehow, you know, are in disagreement with you because you had to change your business plan because of all the contingencies that hit your way. And you say all of those things, that's my challenge in front of me. I'm going to bring the solutions through the power of God that is inside of me. I, in other words, am made for this conflict. I am made for this moment. Yes, my spouse is different from the one that I, that I married, you know. I think it's really funny. People say that. They, they turn to their spouse. They're like, well, you've changed, you know. And I'm just, I'd like to tell them sometimes, what did you expect? <laughs> I've been changing since the moment I was born. Guys, your spouses are going to change. It's, it's and you're going to look, look at them and say, well, you're not the one that I married. Nope, it's the same one that you married. You were just in, you know, thinking to yourself an illusion. You were thinking that somehow my spouse is not supposed to change. What a great opportunity for leadership to say, and so I'm going to adapt. My spouse changing is not an excuse for me to somehow, you know, put my marriage on hold. My spouse changing is an opportunity for me to demonstrate even greater leadership by stepping up to that change and adapting. My children aren't the ones that I expected. Well, it doesn't matter if you expected them or not. They're the children that you have. You know, a leader steps into the void. A leader is made for the hard times. And so many of us think, no, I will be a great leader at the moment of peace. And, I, and I'd just like to point this out. This is not what history demonstrates. Leadership in peace requires new innovation and new depth. But leaders always move us forward. If you're not moving us forward through challenge, then you're not leading. What that leadership therefore requires for me is a deep sense of inner peace, a, a deep sense of identity, a deep sense of character, a deep sense of who I am and why I'm here. And the deeper that I can form that sense of who I am and why I'm here, then the more that I'll be able to shine that forth into the world around me. I'm not here, in other words, to be an example of perfection for everybody to hold up and clap their hands for. I'm here to get my hands dirty, to plunge into that situation that's scaring the heck out of me and to bring to that situation that's scaring the heck out of me the resolution that I'm supposed to bring to it because no one else can and I've been sent by God in order to do that. I think that you think much too little of yourselves and that's why your leadership is so ineffectual in so many ways. The more that you embrace the fact that you have a mission, that you've been sent to this earth by God with a plan and a set of talents that you're sent to deploy as an effort to overcome disorder, to bring peace, to improve this world, well, the more that you're going to be able to be effective in what you do. The great secret of leadership is to realize that it comes from the inside. And you can say, well, where does my inside come from? I had to say as a Christian leader, as a Catholic leader, your inside comes from above. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if you're able to say what is above me is now within me so that what is inside can influence everything around me so that everyone around me can receive from me and from my actions what is above them. And the cycle continues. The one who has 
loved the world so much to send his only begotten son to bring those who are in darkness into light, those who are wounded into healing, those who are lost into the fold, to undo the ravages of sin and darkness and evil in this world, sent his son into this world in a combat. And his son waged that combat by teaching, by healing, by preaching, by, by and doing all of this in the combat of constant conflict and misunderstanding, offering himself unto death upon the cross at the hands of evildoers and men who were much smaller of mind and heart than he was, so that through that death he could glorify the Father and save humanity. And so he, we, we act a lot of times like we who are the leaders who lead in his name can somehow do it in some other way, that we're supposed to do it through ease, that somehow it's supposed to be easy and, and, and I'm supposed to waltz through this world. And I think the reason we do that is because so many of us depend upon the opinions of others around us more than we depend upon God and his word. We're not looking to the word as our judge enough. And so we want everyone around us to say, oh, you did that and you did that perfectly and you just did such a nice job, you know. And since that's what's driving us forward, we end up selling the mission short. Because then when the hard times come and the challenges come our way, we think that we're failing. And so we want to stop. But the moment to stop is not precisely when you're about to charge the mountain. The moment to start is when you're at the base of the mountain. We need you to get to the top of the mountain and we need you to bring us there. That's why you're on this earth. It's not to stand in glory as a statue of perfection. It's to roll up your sleeves and say the combat is made for Christ. And I, as a Christian, am going to enter into it in his name. And you say, well, how do you get that? I want you to go back and look at St. Paul. How did he get it? He says it himself. He was summoned by Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9, where he was saved by Christ himself and his mercy. He was sanctioned by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 12 he was again led by christ in his different ways through his apostolates through the visions that he had the voices that he heard and his prayer but he never lost this conviction that jesus christ had summoned him and called him for that greatness and he led out of that conviction he brought peace because he found peace and embraced peace inside and i want you to do the same don't allow anything to take your peace away from you. There's nothing more disturbing and dangerous than peace. And I want you to embrace that peace today from God. He loves you and gives you that peace so that you can give it to the world. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.